When I was growing up, junior high boys participated in a certain type of one-upmanship. It's called, my dad is better than your dad. (laughs) My dad is stronger. My dad is richer. My dad is better looking. My dad is smarter. We all wanted to appear superior. So we said our dads were better than the other guy's dads. I'm a guy. Don't know much outside of guyhood. (laughs) So I'm going to read the the women's side from about that same time period. I have the book down here. It's from the introduction of Women and Their Fathers. It's an excellent book by Victoria Segunda. On an icy December day, in the middle of researching this book, I defected from my computer to have a pre-Christmas lunch with four of my female friends. It's a tradition with us. She goes on, Inevitably, the conversation of our gang of five turned to family. Each of us was going to spend Christmas at her respective parental homestead. My mother is already a wreck. She's not speaking to my sister this week, said Paula, setting off smiles of recognition around the table. We were girding our filial loins for maternal button-pushing. The pointed questions, the guilt-inducing asides that, along with cranberries, would accompany the predictable turkey. Suddenly, Paula burst into laughter. Listen to us, she said. Here we are, five smart, middle-aged women whining about our mothers. Again! How come that's all we ever talk about? We guffawed in agreement. It was a tired but curiously satisfying topic of conversation in which we never seemed to lose interest. So, I offered, let's talk about fathers instead. An abrupt hush stalled our lively conversation. On the topic of fathers, there were no wisecracks, no easy targets for jokes. In all the years I have known these women, they had seldom mentioned their fathers except in the most cursory, almost clinical terms. Age, place of birth, and job pretty much covered pop. No details, no nuances, no lingering delights or festering wounds, just the facts. It was as though they had never considered dad before. He was simply an amorphous, almost mythical presence in their childhoods. But something about the Christmas season, the holiday of promise and nostalgia and mixed emotions, allowed these women to respond to my suggestion by looking back, pulling images of their fathers out of the past in mosaics of painful memory. And as they talked, it was with an air of wonder, surprise in their discovery that their fathers, to one degree or another, hadn't been there for them as much as they would have liked, or had failed them in some way, or just didn't know them. Remarkably absent in these recollections was real rancor. Rather, my friends conveyed a sense of dismay about the piecemeal role their fathers had played in their lives, a longing that, through the years, had been covered like the snow gently falling outside with the tacit, immutable assumption of that's how fathers are. That's how fathers are. What makes us so tightly tied to our human fathers? Okay. For many nowadays, the question might be, why do I so long for a relationship of a father that I never had? You know, what is a father? And why does this make such a tremendous difference to our lives and and in our children's lives? 
first century Jews had very distinct thoughts about what a father is. We ask questions like, do we call God our father because a good human father gives us our first image of God the father? Or do we call human dads father because God is our true father and we, we kind of want to honor them? Is it because God is to be our father that we call our dad's father? Or are our dads supposed to have lived in such a way that they caused us to consider God our father? For a brilliant woman's perspective on this, you can read the article, Why God is Not Our Mother. Uh, ask me, I'll, I'll make a copy of it for you. But the image of a father. People of Jesus' time believed that a human father was whatever his father was. Every son was a clone of his father. Your dad was a carpenter, you're a carpenter. Your dad was a shepherd, you're a shepherd. Kings from, come from kings, etc., etc., etc. They didn't think of God as father because no one had ever called God their own personal father. Ever. In all of history, no one had ever called God my father until Jesus. This issue comes up in a strange conversation with people we never would have thought he would test like this. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now Jesus has already said that his testimony is true because he is God. He's also said the Father who sent him is true. He has just said, Once I am crucified, you will know that I've been telling the truth about who I am. And many believed in him. Or so they thought. <laughs> now Jesus is going to press them <laughs> so they'll know what they believe. The first thing he says, you don't know what's true and you aren't free. <laughs> they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved by anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Hey, we're Jewish. That's good enough. And that means we are free. Now, you may know the story. Politically, at that very moment, they are subjects of Rome. Not really free to do what they want to do. And before that, the Greeks ruled Palestine. And before that, the Persians. And before that, the Babylonians. And clear back at the beginning of their nation, they were slaves in Egypt. There was a time long ago when they were completely autonomous. But for most of the history of the Jews... They had been subject to Gentile overlords. But they still regarded themselves as free. So free in what sense? Free to worship God in the way they believed was correct. And actually, that is kind of where Jesus is going. He is speaking of spiritual freedom. He says, to have it, you have to admit you are a sinner. That's how we say it today. But they didn't. They thought they were already okay. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You're a slave. You don't get to stay in the house. Uh, house? What <laughs> Okay, it's a little strange to us, but house, we might say home, was more than just the family who lived there. 
any slaves, any servants, any friends who lived there were a part of the household. But when the son came to power, if the dad died and the son came to power, no one not a son could be sure that they would be a member of the household anymore. You could get rid of everybody. <laughs> Jews extended that somewhat further. The temple was the house of God. The only people who could go into the house of God were those who belonged to God's people, the Jews. So from family to house to temple to God's people, it was a pretty straight line for them. And they understood that Jesus was saying that they weren't, if they commit sins, okay with God. They need the Son to set them free. I, this is horribly frustrating for them. They thought that being Jewish meant that they were guaranteed an entrance into God's kingdom. And here's Jesus saying, no, there's only one way to be free, and that's through me. You've got to believe in me. And actually the Jews should have known this. Listen to what God said through Nathan the prophet to the great King David. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. He shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. Now, it may surprise you to know that pretty much all the scholars of that time, of Jesus' time, believed that this was a messianic prophecy. It was well known. So why were they so confused about God as Father? Particularly the Father of the Christ, the Messiah. And they forgot that it was God who that would do the establishing. They figured they were necessary. The Jews are the people who will bring in the Savior of the world. So Jesus has to go on and correct them. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Wait. We have a father, presumably Abraham, and you have a different one? And, of course, they thought they were necessary to bring in the Messiah, but Jesus tells them that not only do they not do that, but they are seeking to kill him, to kill the Messiah. And Jesus confirms that they are true descendants of Abraham. They are, but not like they think they are. And he presses them tremendously. You seek to kill me. Okay, that's... <laughs> uh. The very words that should have set them free, they can't accept. Why? Because their father and Jesus' father are not the same one. Uh, confused? Well, so were the Jews, so they go back to what they're sure of. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So they pound in what they know is true. We descend from Abraham. That makes us okay. But Jesus says you can't be clones of Abraham because you do not behave as he would. Abraham was eager to host God's representatives and was driven to do the will of God. They are not because their father is not. But wait, if Abraham cannot be called our father, who is? 
They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Well, at least they understood the prophets enough to know that to not act as children of Abraham was to not please God. To be spiritually adulterous is the phrase they used. And they realized, oh wait, wait, okay, you were right, you are right. We shouldn't be looking to Abraham as our father. We should just say, God is our father. <laughs> now, we know from the conversation with Nicodemus earlier in this book that you can only be a child of God if you are born again spiritually. Being descended from Abraham might be, might be a tremendous advantage, but it's not enough to make you a child of God. But they hadn't passed that test yet. <laughs> Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. Your actions demonstrate your spiritual state. You do not belong to God. (laughs) That's kind of rough, don't you think? And notice the two reasons to love Jesus, to act in proper way to Jesus. He came from the Father, and he's here. That's a whole other sermon. We'll do that later. (laughs) He also says again that he does not do things on his own. His will and the Father's is the same thing. They are one. He needs to nail that down as a truth so they have nowhere to go. Now, we must not forget that in that culture, to be the Son is to be the same thing as the Father. Even to be the Father is to be the Son. To be the Son is to be the Father. That's how they thought. And Jesus says they are like their Father. A different Father than Jesus, and a Father not Abraham, a Father not God. So they not only can't understand, they can't take it, (laughs) I mean, sure, they understand the words, but they can't bear to hear them. They can't understand why Jesus says them. But wait, if if God isn't their father, if Abraham isn't their father, who is their father? You are of your father, the devil. That's your daddy. (laughs) Ouch. These Jews, who believed in him? have a father who is the devil. They are like clones of the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Their father is Satan. (laughs) Not by physical birth. You don't know, that's... He's talking about their spiritual father. They are like their father. He wants to kill Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. But what does all this have to do with truth and lies? Because lies are like death. Lies are perversions of the truth, as death is perversion of life. Satan can't do anything new. He can only pervert whatever comes from God. Now, we've been warned. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But he is not a lion. 
Neither is he an angel of light, but only sometimes dressed up like one. Just an old liar trying to deceive. The Jew's father is a liar. And so, so are they. Jesus' father is truth. And so he speaks truth. And these two are like oil and water. They just don't mix. So, neither do Jesus and the Jews. But, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Note that it is not in spite of the truth Jesus speaks, but because of this truth that they cannot accept him. They want to kill him, but he is without sin. He says, where is your proof? You say I'm not telling the truth. Find a single sin I have ever done and prove it. Because if I don't sin, then I must be telling the truth. So, why don't you believe me? Absolutely without sin. Um, do we really understand that? There isn't a single regret in Jesus' life. He never did one thing wrong. Not one. Jesus is the only one who could ever say that. He is the single, truly unique individual in all of history. And he was standing in front of them. And they couldn't get it. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Slap! You think God is your father? You think just because you are Jews that you're okay? You're out of your mind! The words are contrary to their nature because they are contrary to the nature of their father. And Jesus is saying what he has said all along. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The problem is that they are interested in what their father is interested in. So they can't get what Jesus' father is like. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? A Samaritan? Does it get any worse? To the Jews, there is no insult you can spew out more vicious than this. The Samaritans were, to them, the worst low-life pieces of garbage that ever walked the earth. Okay, the Jews were really horribly bigoted. <laughs> and then, you have a demon. Okay, maybe they actually meant that, but usually this was an expression that meant, you're, you're nuts! You're ready for the loony bin! The words they can't deal with, so they attack Jesus as a person. Remember our junior high boys? <laughs> just like everybody who doesn't have a real argument, they just attack the person. But as always, Jesus drives forward with truth. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father. And you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus has uh, already spoken about judging. You'd think they'd be pretty worried by now, but uh, they got their blinders on. <laughs> I'm living like my father in honor. You are living like yours, perverting honor. 
Jesus' charge of their dishonoring him, that's significant. Because it meant that they were dishonoring the one he is like. His Father, God. So they failed this test. So Jesus now presents the Jews who believed in him with another test. But this is one of those really abrupt changes in the conversation. You know like when you're watching a movie and the scene changes? First, you have this scene where your hero, he's like tied to the front of this steaming locomotive, roaring down the tracks, headed to this blown out bridge over this huge chasm where he will certainly plunge to an untimely death and the music builds up and it goes and all of a sudden, it's quiet. And there's this, this sunlit meadow. And a wise man sits in the soft grass and with intensity he says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Uh, what? Uh, let's see. You're enslaved to sin. My words find no place in you. You seek to kill me. Your father is the devil, a murderer and a liar. You dishonor me and then... If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Uh, Jesus is saying sin, you see, leads to death. Only those free of sin can avoid eternal death. But all of you are slaves to sin. I mean, you've got to be impressed by Jesus' command of this and all conversations and his unswerving focus on his mission to bring truth to this lost world. And the truth that Jesus speaks here of is spiritual death. But, of course, they don't get it. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? They had forgotten that God is spirit. Well, maybe not forgotten. But simply unable to comprehend And, like their leaders, they have forgotten that this world is temporary. It's the spiritual that matters. Only those born of the Spirit can enjoy eternal life in the new creation. But there are hints of this even in their history. I mean, neither Enoch nor Elijah ever tasted physical death. You remember how this conversation started, this little bit of it? Jesus said to the Jews that believed in him. What did they believe when they believed in him? The Samaritan woman asked something very similar to what they did. Are you greater than our father Jacob? My people today are the same. It's okay for Jesus to be great, you know, really a special guy. But not ultimately special. Not God, not perfect. Actually, many are even okay with a a God as long as he is limited, as long as he is a God after their own hearts, (laughs) as long as they enjoy a little, how did Matt say it, moralistic, therapeutic deism. (laughs) They just don't want a perfect, involved God. The contrast with who they are is just too great. But Jesus is better than Jacob, better than Abraham, Moses, or any of the prophets. And not just in degree, but in his nature. 
philosophers call it his ontology, that which is essentially the Son, what has to be for him to be the Son. He's different that way. Unlike us and those Jews, he is actually like his Father in his nature. We get adopted in through the Son. And that is precisely what they didn't get. So he lays it out straight. Jesus said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him. And I keep his word. You know, I don't make myself out to be anybody. I'm not here to claim importance, but to do a job. The one my Father sent me to do. Now, of course, they don't know what that is because they don't know Him, the Father, well, or the Son. But the Son knows the Father and does His will. They know their Father, the devil, and act just like Him. But they don't know it. <laughs> so to help them understand just how low they really do go, Jesus gives them another test. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? If Abraham is your father, you'd act like him, right? Here's how he acted. Now the Jews had no problem believing that Abraham saw God. Maybe even saw the Messiah in some sense. But they're upset because Jesus claims to have been alive 2,000 years earlier when Abraham was around. <laughs> Not likely the kind of Messiah they were expecting. But they even got this wrong. It was Abraham seeing Jesus' day. Not Jesus seeing Abraham's day. They're getting it backward. Why? Because they are thinking like their father wanted them to think. You know, just a Christ with an earthly origin, just a guy. So now Jesus gives them the test. The one who is like his father has now come to the point to which he has been building all along. A final test for those who were sure they believed in him. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they fail miserably, so they picked up stones to throw at him. <laughs> now, I am. It could not be mistaken by any Jew. They all knew this was how the true Creator God of heaven and earth described himself. And all Jews were very careful to never, ever say these words in any way that could possibly be mistaken to be self-description. For these words are reserved for God Himself. And yet Jesus purposefully uses them of Himself to describe Himself. When He said, Before Abraham was, I am, He left no room for misunderstanding. His Father, in nature, in essence, in substance, is the great I am. And therefore, so is He. And those who believed in him could not believe this. Who's your daddy? 
did those Jews believe only that Jesus was the kind of Messiah that they wanted? A, a military leader to free them from their Roman overlords? Or did they really want to believe more but just couldn't get it yet? Did they later, after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, become true believers? I want to think they did. <laughs> I want to think that they did start to live like Jesus' Father in truth rather than like their old father in lies. Certainly, Jesus upset pretty much everything they thought. Everything they thought was for sure. Everything they thought would get them there. And it would if they did come to believe. But what about us? You know, who's our daddy? Well, who do we live more like? Do we still live like, oh, we're okay, we're okay, we don't need, <laughs> we don't need anything? Or do we recognize our need? Do we still live as slaves to sin? Or do we gladly make ourselves slaves of Christ? Do we live like those in the faith before us? Abraham. Well, can we bear to hear the words of Jesus? Do we want to hear the words of Jesus? Or do we fill our lives, you know, with TV and friends and Facebook and texting and phone calls? And Do we attack people? Or speak truth into their lives? Do we understand that Satan is trying to destroy us? To bring perversion into our lives? Do we understand that everything in this life, everything that we do in this life, touches the spiritual? Everything echoes into eternity. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Do we see that there is only one way to be free? Only one way to eternal life. Only one who is the great I am in human form. Are you willing to let him shake up everything in your life? You will be if your daddy is the creator of the whole universe. <laughs> the great I am. Let's sing this song and we're going to share communion. We'll talk some more.